Today's Welcome Sunday. Um, call it Welcome Sunday. It's a pretty typical Sunday, but we're going to end a little bit early and uh, give you an opportunity to hang out in the lobby around donuts. Yay. Yeah, donuts two weeks in a row. I remember planning this, and we were like, are we really going to do donuts two weeks in a row? We're like, yes, 100% yes. Donuts are amazing. So uh, I'll end a little bit early. I know it's a little dangerous when the preacher says he's going to end early. Sometimes I just get rolling, and I have a hard time ending early. But I'm going to do my best. We'll end a little bit early and give you time to just go out and hang out in the lobby and get to know some folks. Um, There are lots of really good people here, and I have the privilege of knowing so many of you, and I would love for you to get to know one another more and just have time together to just chat and ask some good questions and get to know each other. It's awesome. That and the topic for today, uh, we're going to Again, pause our First Peter uh, Resilient Christianity campaign for the week, and we're going to talk about just who we are as a church a little bit. And on Welcome Sundays, I try to give you, if you're new or new-ish to LifeBridge, just a glimpse into who we are. Um, so that's one way, is just hanging out with people out in the lobby and getting to know some people. It's a great way to get to know us. Another great way is serving, uh, which last week, if you were new or new-ish to LifeBridge and you came last week, like that also reveals who we are. Tia mentioned that in staff meetings, that we, we serve, right? And we want to bless the global community. We want to bless our partners and just help care for the needs of people as best we can. So that gives you a glimpse into who we are a little bit. And today I'll give you a little bit more of a glimpse into who we are as a church. And we're going to talk through our value of kingdom. So if you noticed on the wall out there, if you've browsed our website, you'll find uh, we have this list of values Kingdom is one of them. Uh, kingdom, essentially, I mean, this is the definition. Oh, I got to describe it because we don't, like, there's no castle up on the hill that is the, the king resides in and we're a part of their kingdom. We don't do that anymore, right? So this is language that we're not super familiar with that we don't use all the time, but it's language that is all throughout scripture, okay? Uh, it's a consistent theme from the beginning to the end of the kingdom of God. And so what we mean when we say kingdom, this definition comes from my biblical uh, theology professor, uh, Dr. Wayne Johnson, when I was at Trinity. His definition is God's people in God's place ruling under God's authority. It's real simple, all right? but it makes sense. This is what the kingdom looks like. It's God's people in God's place ruling under God's authority. So this is one of the areas where the theme is continuous throughout all of Scripture, but there's some discontinuity between the Old and the New Testament because the, uh, the, the God's people, the God's place, the God's authority, it changes, uh, it expands, and it's different from the Old Testament to the New. Uh, I could have added the Garden of Eden here as well. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. So God's people uh, in the Old Testament was the people of Israel. Uh, in the New Testament, that expands to the church. Uh, as we've been or finding in 1 Peter, you are a holy nation, uh, a royal priesthood, right? Like, that language is the people of God, and it's describing the people of God's kingdom. God's place in the Old Testament was the promised land, and now it is expanding to all of creation, the kingdom of God. God's authority, what it looked like to rule under God's authority. In the Old Testament, it was following the law of Moses, and being obedient to the law of Moses. In the New Testament, it's following the teachings of Christ, which Christ largely expounded and taught what the law of Moses meant and how we are to live uh, in the law of Moses. The microcosm of this is in the Garden of Eden, where we see God's people, Adam and Eve, 
uh, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, ruling under God's authority, there to steward creation and obey the rules that God put in place, which he only gives them a few, and they manage to disobey those. So uh, it says a lot about who we are as humans and how we struggle to do this. So this is the, the picture of God's kingdom and what the kingdom means. And so our value of kingdom is we seek first the kingdom of God and center our lives around Jesus. God's will is our highest priority and the primary lens through which we view the world. Okay, so there's four statements in here. Uh, the first is that we seek first the kingdom of God. It's directly from Matthew 6.33, which we'll talk about in a couple of moments here. And therefore, since we seek first the kingdom of God, we center our lives on Jesus. Jesus is the king of his kingdom. Should go without saying, but we have to say it, right? He is the king, and so our lives are centered on him. We talked about this in our First Peter campaign uh, a couple weeks ago, where Peter says that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Same idea, okay? Jesus is the king of his kingdom, cornerstone of the church, different metaphors, same idea, right? He is... We, the one that we build our lives fully on is Jesus. God's will is then our highest priority. Okay, so again, if Jesus is the king of his kingdom, we are living uh, in our allegiance to the king and to his kingdom, then it's not about what we want to accomplish as a church and as individuals. It is what God wants to do through us. That's what we're striving for. That's what it means to seek the kingdom of God first. Like Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a surrender aspect there of my will to God's. It's not just what I want to be done with my life, with ethics, all that. It's your will, God. What you want is what I'm living my life for. That's what it looks like to seek God's kingdom first. And therefore, it is the primary lens through which we view the world. So we want to view the world through the kingdom of God, uh, the picture I like is glasses before your eyes, right? So like, everything in and out is filtered through that lens, okay? That's what a lens does, right? Is it like adjusts direction of light, right? So it focuses it on your eye. So everything in and out of news that comes in, uh, relationships, how you respond, how you act, how you live, what you do when somebody offends you, filter it all through the kingdom of God. So what does God's kingdom have to say about how I should react to this, about my response, how I should be using my finances? What does the kingdom of God have to say about how I should be investing for the future? Right? We, we, we like to segment our lives. The kingdom theme that Jesus talks about so much forces us to center it all around his kingdom values. Right? We can't just segment our lives out into all these different areas and say, I'm free to do whatever I want with my finances, or I'm free to do whatever I want in politics, or I'm free to do whatever I want with my family. You know, if we're seeking the kingdom first, those, that teaching, that theology, the ethics of the kingdom, the way of living in the kingdom of God will influence and affect every area of your life. There is nothing that should be untouched by God's kingdom. Because if he is Lord of everything, and we've sworn allegiance to him and to his kingdom, and we're doing his will, not ours, Every area of your life should be affected by this. But we're very tempted to always segment areas off and say, not this area. I like this area for me. <laughs> uh, Jesus being the king leads us to surrender it all to him and say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. 
So, it's just some general ideas about the kingdom. Now let's see why we make such a big deal about it. It's very simply, Jesus made a big deal about it, right? And Jesus kind of knew what he was talking about. We trust him. Matthew 4.17, this is when Jesus begins his ministry. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Again, from that time on, meaning the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he was bringing his kingdom, the kingdom of God, to earth. And God's kingdom was invading the kingdom of earth. And so... That required us to repent of our former ways of living, former ways of thinking, and then therefore live in this new kingdom of heaven that Jesus is bringing. Okay. This was his primary message throughout the Gospels, everywhere. Luke 4, 43, this is after Jesus had been preaching, healing, casting out demons. Okay, those are all visible expressions that the kingdom of God is here. Okay. That God's space is coming into earth. They wanted them to stay. They're like, nah, we're not going to let you leave. Like, stay here. Like, you're really useful in a pinch. When somebody's sick, like, we just come get you and you heal them, right? Like, we're going to keep you here for us. Here's Jesus' response. I must proclaim the good news, that's the gospel, of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. That is why I was sent, he said, was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. This is a primary theme of Jesus' life and teaching and ministry, so we can't overlook it. And even though we don't talk about kings and kingdoms very much, we have to know what Jesus meant by this, and we have to value it, cherish it. As we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' largest ethical teaching, like in one concise Moment. So, like, the whole Sermon on the Mount is what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What are the values of the kingdom of God? The Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Like, what he's saying is, like, these are the values of my kingdom. And this is how you should live in light of the values of my kingdom. So, if you want to seek first the kingdom of God, that's what we do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. So he calls us to seek it first. Like, this is our primary priority. There's nothing more important in our life than seeking the kingdom of God. And the values of the kingdom of God, the truth of the kingdom of God, desiring to be a part of it and living in it. Jesus says this in the context of teaching on anxiety and worry, where he says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Those are pretty basic necessities, right? Eat, drink, wear. <laughs> and when we think of the things that we tend to worry about in our life, they're not the basic necessities in most cases, right? They're, they're many steps removed from basic necessities. And we tend to be anxious and worried about those. And so this is Jesus' antidote for that. For our anxiety over all the stuff, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he says. God's kingdom is your ultimate priority. I wonder what that would do to our anxiety. I know in my life, when I, get, when I get worried about other stuff and anxious, I usually don't have the perspective of the kingdom. It is usually the primary culprit. Like right now, the big one for me is working on my house and in the basement. And always finishing basements. 
Um, <laughs> I like just got my basement finished at our old house, and then we moved, and I'm doing it again. Uh, so <laughs> when I get stressed and anxious and worried about that, I'm, I'm worried about it because of like my abilities. Like, what can I do? Do we have enough resources to finish this? Like, oh, my reputation, all of this stuff, that's what creates anxiety in me. When I filter it through the lens of the kingdom, and I say, if this is God's will, he'll give me the strength to do it. If this is God's will for me, he'll provide the resources to finish this. If this is God's will, he'll sustain me through it, and I can still have peace in the midst of it. Notice how that simple change of perspective changes my anxiety and my stress. Because that's a different question than I'm asking, right? And if I am surrendered to God's will, it changes the whole perspective of the situation. So again, I wonder, I don't know, how much of our anxiety is because we aren't seeking the kingdom of God first. Instead, we have our idea of what life should look like, what my kingdom should look like, theoretically, right? And we're seeking something else. And we're not seeking what God's will is and surrendering to that. Next, in Matthew 13, 44 to 46, Jesus tells these couple of really short parables, not really parables, but whatever, uh, about just how important the kingdom of God is. Okay, so again, this has to be like a big value for us. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, so it was joyful for him to sell everything he had and buy the field so that he has the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two of them. But again, just emphasizing the great value of the kingdom. Uh, these folks being willing to sell everything to have it. Right? That, he's just saying this is the most valuable thing in your life. It should be. It has to be. If you seek it first, it is the thing that you cherish the most. It is the kingdom of God. Living kingdom virtues living in the truth of God's kingdom with Jesus as your king and as your Lord. It has to be primary, first, number one in our lives. Now, the value of something, I didn't, I didn't major in economics, so if I'm wrong about this, you can explain it to me later. <laughs> but it seems to me the value of something is determined not only by like, the rarity of it or the intrinsic value of it, it's also determined by how much people want it, <laughs> right? Like, Beanie Babies don't have a lot of intrinsic value. <laughs> but when I was a kid, they went for crazy amounts of money because everybody wanted them, right? If nobody wanted gold, would it be that valuable? Like, it'd be rare, but if nobody wants it, nobody's going to spend the money on it, right? And so part of the great value of the kingdom has to be our longing for it. And the more you taste it and the more you experience it, the more you long for it and the more valuable it becomes. So the kingdom of God has to be way more valuable than your house, than your retirement plan, than all the luxuries that you want to build your life on. So that if God were to call you to something different, you would joyfully be willing to sell it all and go do for him what he called you to. That's a tough, like Jesus, Jesus says some tough stuff. Discipleship to Jesus is not easy. It's not meant to be easy. And the kingdom is one of those things that challenges our values on every front. 
And that's right and good. Constantly, we're being asked, is the kingdom of God number one? Constantly, we are put into places and positions and decisions where we have to decide, is the kingdom number one? And we see that in one example in the life of Jesus in particular, um, where he teaches kingdom values in the midst of the kingdom of man, all right? where all of this stuff that I'm saying, it sounds good, right? It's lofty. It's big. It's philosophical. It's theoretical, right? But what does this look like in my day to day is one of the tough questions of how do we live in the kingdom of God while living also in the kingdom of man? Because these two, they're going to butt up against each other all the time. And which one will we ultimately swear allegiance to? And which one do we put our priority on? Which one do we value more? Are we willing to sell everything to have the kingdom? Is it that pearl of great price or is it not to us? Where's our primary allegiance? Those are challenged in the day to day, right? And Jesus, he has this one encounter that's just so good that reveals the people who asked him this question, their allegiance was to the kingdom of man primarily, not to the kingdom of God. And the question revolves around taxes, which I didn't plan it this way, but good timing, right? We're all thinking about taxes. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday <laughs> at uh, my nephew's birthday party. <laughs> I asked them, uh, so anyways, <sighs> I was talking to somebody who said their husband's at home doing taxes. They spent like eight hours doing taxes yesterday. It's insane. That's sounds terrible. Um, but yeah, nobody likes taxes, right? Like, nobody, it's just, at best, it's like the necessary thing that we all have to do, right? At worst, we despise it. So uh, nobody likes taxes. It was no different in Jesus' day. Nobody liked paying taxes, especially for the people of Israel, because they were subjugated by the Roman Empire. And so they not only had to pay like their, their local taxes, but they had to pay more taxes to Rome. So Rome had different tax structures. Um, and if you weren't a Roman citizen, you had to pay a lot more in taxes. And so they hated it. It was a reminder all the time of their subjugation to Rome. And so the Jesus opponents, they have this great idea, this awesome question that's actually a really good question, but Jesus is just so brilliant. They ask him, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Knowing that if he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then the <laughs> Roman sympathizers in the audience are going to report him and he's probably going to get arrested, and their problem will be done away with. Because you can't go around saying you're not paying taxes to Rome, right? Teaching people not to do that. Uh, if he says yes, he's going to alienate himself from a lot of the people who are following him, and his crowd will shrink big time, right? Because they hate paying taxes to Rome. They wanted to rebel, and they were looking for somebody to tell them you don't have to do this. And so they ask him, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus, his answer is just the most brilliant thing. Again, what he's getting at here is how do we live in the tension of these two kingdoms? Kingdom of man, kingdom of God. How do we do this? It's a very practical question. Do we pay taxes? Do we not? These are questions that we're all asking, right? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Like, 
Boom, mic drop. Amazing moment. What he's saying is, like, whose image is on this? Caesar's. Whose image is on you? God's. So what he's saying is give all of yourself to God and pay your taxes. <laughs> but the first primary thing is give all of yourself to God. Because all of these folks, this question revealed that their primary allegiance was not to God. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were, trying, they were fighting with each other over their loyalties to their government. Instead, Jesus, he zooms out and he says, no, what's more important is that you give yourself fully to God. And that just changes the whole dynamic, right? They have been viewing each other as not created in the image of God. They've been fighting and bickering over everything. And instead of seeing the big picture, giving themselves primarily to the kingdom of God, they had given too much of their allegiance both sides, to the kingdom of man. And so, this is beholden upon us today, too, of our allegiances to the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And how do we live with the kingdom of God as our primary value in the midst of living also in the kingdom of man? Much has been written about this. But again, this is where the rubber meets the road for Christians on this theology and how we have to think through this. These are very practical issues, practical things that we have to address. And living in an election season, again, these are questions we are all going to have to answer <laughs> this year. <laughs> all right? One of the grave mistakes that the church has made in my entire lifetime has been to say, in the interest of not being political, we don't talk about, like, how this should interact with each other, how the kingdom of God should interact with our allegiance to the kingdom of man. And so what we've done is just like left Christians everywhere feeling free to like view their political ideologies in a separate category, right? And not hold it under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. And that's a mistake. It's a huge mistake. Now, there's so much room for disagreements on politics, within the Christian faith. There's so much room for us to have different ideas about how to bring the kingdom of God into the political sphere. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. I'm not going to tell you those specifics on issues like that. But it's impossible that the kingdom of God, that our primary allegiance to that, will not affect how we interact with the kingdom of man. In 1 Peter, as we're going through, it clearly affected it. They would be arrested and say, do you swear allegiance to Caesar as Lord over Jesus is the implication? And the Christians would have to answer yes or no. And if they don't swear allegiance to Caesar, they're put in prison. Our allegiance to the kingdom of God affects how we interact with the kingdom of man that we live in now. Inevitably, it does. It always has and it always will. And so it's a mistake to not talk about it and to not teach about it. And so again, within the realm of what Scripture allows for, for all the gray area that there is, I just want to encourage us this election season, as we reflect on this value of the kingdom, seeking the kingdom first, this is how the kingdom of God transforms the virtues of the kingdom of man.
And this is what we as Christians should be moving towards this list on the right. So how does, how do these affect your politics is all I'm going to ask, right? These are big picture things, but band, why don't you guys come and get set up? We're going to wrap up in a moment. So in the kingdom of God, what Jesus has revealed in his earthly ministry, it's more than this, okay? These are just a few, a few of them, is we trade power, that's the kingdom of man, is pursue power through military might, through conquest, through number of representatives in office, right? Pursue power for the Jesus kingdom, God's kingdom is service. How can we serve and love people through it? Pride for humility. Acquisition, more stuff for me. For generosity. Control for surrender. Hatred for love. War for peace and evil for goodness. And so, if we are seeking the kingdom of God first, what I'm most concerned about is not the specific details of your political ideologies. I'm most concerned about your soul and is how you engage in politics, does it look more like the list on the right or the list on the left? And that's a question you have to honestly reflect on. If I'm living for the kingdom of God first and foremost, that that's my first value, the, the thing that I cherish above everything else, that I would sell everything to have, you'll be growing in those. And that will influence how you interact in the political sphere this election season especially. Because those are the values of the kingdom of God that we can't put to the side in order to live in the kingdom of man. No, the kingdom of God is our first priority. So we learn how to grow in love and peace and goodness and service and humility, generosity and surrender while interacting in the kingdom of man. Lord, I just pray for your church. Pray for all of us here as your people. Lord, who seek first your kingdom, who value your kingdom as the pearl of great price that we would sell everything to have. Lord, if we really mean what we say, that your kingdom is first. Lord, would you fill us with these virtues so that, Lord, we can bring these into the public square, bring these into our political engagement, and, Lord, represent that we are first and foremost citizens of your kingdom, and, Jesus, you are king. You are our king above all else. And so, Lord, we swear our allegiance to you, we worship you, and, Lord, we want to follow your way in every sphere of our life. And Lord, it is our prayer that your kingdom will come and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that, Lord, more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.